All right, Devo Sai, good morning. Let's begin. So today's daf is Nun Beis. Nun Beis, we are picking up. We are picking up from Nun Aleph on Nun Beis. We have a little bit to catch up on on Nun Aleph. A little bit to catch up on Nun Aleph. We left off with Tanarabanan, which is two, four, six, seven lines up from the bottom. Last one on the line, Tanarabanan. So Tanarabanan. So literally, the, the Brisa says that those captured, I'm sorry, those captured by the Malchus, those captured ultimately again by the monarchy, are like those taken captives by thieves. So the Gemara says, on the other hand, uh, on the other hand, those who are taken by Listim, armed robbers, are not like Shvuyin. Now look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, Shvuyin Malchus, Noshim Sheshava HaMelech L'Tashmish. These are women that were captured by the king, I guess for the sake of serving in his harem, Harihin Kishvuyin. They are like regular captives, Umutar Ba'alayin. They are permitted to their husbands. On the other hand, on the other hand, excuse me, that uh, what he calls Ginuve Listos, those who are stolen by robbers, ultimately are not like Shvuyin, which means that I will say they would not be permitted to their husbands. So the Gemara says, Hatanya Epcha, but we learn just the opposite. To which the Gemara says, Malchus, Malchus, Lokasha. So the truth is, it's not a contradiction. Why? Habamalchus Achashverosh, Habamalchus Ben Nezer. So it's actually very interesting. So the Gemara says that it depends on the monarchy. In a Malchus like Achashverosh, where a woman has virtually no hope of ever becoming queen, so we assume that she is violated against her will. But in a Malchus like Ben Nezer, we'll talk about Ben Nezer. Ben Nezer was a, a, a robber who was exceptionally successful. Everybody has to be good at something. So he was exceptionally successful, and he ransacked like a whole bunch of cities, and he essentially created for himself like a little fiefdom. See, he was like a king. So in a king like Ben Nezer, a woman knows that it's possible that perhaps she would be taken by Ben Nezer as a wife, and therefore, again, the concern is that she may go ahead and engage willingly in Tashmish, in the act of relations with him. Of course, if she engages willingly, then Lemaisa, again, that prohibits her to her husband, so the Gemara says it depends on the Malchus. So listus alistus lokasha habavenetzer habalistin da ama. Similarly, again, the listus alistus is also not a kasha because it depends on the listus. One is the listus like benetzer. So in a man like benetzer, where again he was a man of incredible reputation. And although he was a criminal, he amassed for himself a fortune and a little bit of an empire. So a woman may be tempted to submit willingly to him, ultimately again in order to be his wife, in order to be taken from him as a wife. On the other hand, again. Regular list and regular robbers, so no woman is going to want to be associated with that, and therefore, again, we assume that she was violated against the will. And I will say, obviously, this whole Gemara is not really Lemaisa for us because remember, the Gemara yesterday subscribed to the idea of that even at the beginning of the act, even if the begin- is, is ones, is against her, well, even if over time she submits willingly, again, we still look at the act as an act of ones. To take it a step further, what is also interesting over here is in these cases, the concern is that perhaps she will submit willingly almost out of a sense of yeush, that perhaps she's never going to be redeemed. If she's never going to be redeemed, then perhaps she just has to make the best of this particular life that she has in front of her. The Gemara goes on. The Gemara says, I don't stand with Benetzer. Here, one place they call him a Melech, and one place they call him a Listim. So, which one is it? In Gabiach Hashverosh, Listim Hava. Gabiach, God bless you. Gabi, listen to Amma Melechu. So, also, like most things, it depends on who he's compared to. So, compared to a king like Achashverosh, he's just simply a rabber. But compared ultimately to other Listim, he's like a Melech.
Good. Remember, the Mishnah said that in the Ksuva, in the Ksuva of a Kohenes, a husband promises that if you are taken captive, I will redeem you and return you back to your city. Remember again, the wife of a Kohen who is violated is prohibited to her husband. As such again, he says, I will redeem you and I'll return you back home. Says the Gemara, Amr Abayi, Amarna the Kohen Gadol. It's an interesting case. Let's say a Kohen Gadol married an Amarna. Obviously, in a legal in a legal marriage, what's the halacha now? She's taken captive. So what's the halacha? Chayiv liftosa. Abai says you have to redeem her. Why? Shani kori ba ubekohenes adrinach lemdina seich. Because Rabbi says Abai says you could fulfill the tnai in the ksuva. The tnai in the ksuva was that if you are taken captive, I will redeem you to your city. So therefore, again, even though she cannot remain married to him, but what he can absolutely return her back home. On the other hand, top of Nunbez, Mamzeres Unasina Li Yisrael. On the other hand, when it comes to a Mamzeres in a Nesina, so I'll say, remember, in the case of Mamzeres in Nesina, this is a situation over here where another illegal marriage, Enochayev Leftosa, in that case, again, the Yisrael husband is not obligated to go ahead and, is not obligated to go ahead and redeem her. Why? She'in Anikori Ba. Because he cannot fulfill the phrase, and I will return you as my wife. So says, Abayi says something very interesting. Abayi says, essentially, when the Tanayim the Ksuva can be fulfilled, even if the marriage was illegal, he still has an obligation to redeem her. So, for example, in the case of a coin who married an Amara, illegal marriage, but remember, what's, what's the clause in the Ksuva? If you are taken captive, I will redeem you and return you back to your family. So, the truth is, can he fulfill that clause? Absolutely, yes. On the other hand, if it's Yisrael married to an, a Mamzeres, that's an illegal marriage also. Remember, the clause in a Yisrael's Ksuva is, I will redeem you and I will return you to my home, meaning you'll remain my wife. That, of course, is impossible in this case because it's a prohibited marriage. And therefore, Abayi suggests that he's not chayif to go ahead and redeem her. Now, I want to point something out. Remember, again, even in these cases when we say he's not obligated to redeem her, so there is still a mitzvah pigyon shvuyim, right? The mitzvah pigyon shvuyim applies to everyone. The difference in these cases is that when one's wife is taken captive, the sole responsibility for redemption devolves upon the husband. That's, that's the chilik over here. But obviously we say, like, he doesn't have to redeem her. Okay, you know, you know, good luck with that. Then, of course, the obligation of pigyon shvuyim kicks in, and ab- the husband also has an obligation of pigyon shvuyim. Perhaps just he wouldn't have the obligation to foot the entire bill for the pigyon shvuyim. So the Gemara goes right to Rava. Um, Rava, on the other hand, says, no. Koshi isr shvuya garam la chayev liftosa. Rava says, no, in the case of the coin, it is only when the fact that she was taken captive prohibits her to her husband that the coin husband is obligated to redeem her. However, but if there is something else that causes the prohibition from the wife to the husband, therefore, Abosai Rava says, it's not the fact that she was taken captive that prohibits the amana to her coin husband, to her coin godl husband, but rather what is the fact that she's an amana that prohibits the amana to the coin godl husband? Therefore, Rav suggests that in that case he is not obligated to redeem her. So the Mara says, "Leimit kitanis." So we'll say fundamental machlokis Abai and Rava. They now I want to be clear. They both agree in the case of the Yisrael to the Mamzeres that you're not obligated that he, the husband is not obligated to redeem her. Their machlokis is in the case of the coin godl who marries the amana. Rava says, excuse me, Abai says you have to redeem her because you could fulfill the clause in the Ksuva of I will redeem you and return you back to your home, whereas Rava says that you are not obligated to redeem her because, again, it's not the fact that she was taken captive that creates the prohibition, but rather it was a pre-existing condition. So, let me get another interesting case. Let's say a man makes a nadar prohibiting his wife from getting any benefits from him. So, we will see later on 
that if you make a nedo like that, prohibiting your wife from getting any benefit from you, that is grounds for immediate divorce and pay out the ksuva. Because we'll say, if a man goes out and says that his wife can't get any benefit from him, there's really no more marriage. So let's say he went ahead and he made the neder, and then right after he made the neder, she was taken captive. Now the shaila is what? The shaila is, is he obligated to redeem her? Rabbi Eliezer, Omer, Po, Devino, Sin, Laksuvasa. Rabbi Eliezer says, you have to redeem her, and you give her ksuva. Rabbi Yeshua, Omer, no sin laksuvasa ve'ina poder. Rabbi Yeshua says, no, you give her a ksuva, and you're not obligated to redeem her. Meaning, in other words, that essentially once you have gone ahead and made that neder, pretty much the marriage is over. And now when she's taken captive, you give her her ksuva, give her her money, and, but the husband is not obligated. Om Rabbi Nassan, Rabbi Nassan said, Sha'ati yasumchus kishom Rabbi Yeshua, no sin laksuvasa ve'ina poder. So we'll say, I, so Rabbi Nassan said, I once asked sumchus, when Rabbi Yeshua said that the husband just gives her the ksuba and is not obligated to redeem her, what's the case? Is that case Is that a case of where he first made the nether and then she was taken captive? Oh, Or is that true even in a case of where she was first taken captive and then he made the nether? And Subcha said to me, the truth is, I don't know, I never heard anything about this. However, venirin dvarim, shehedira ulabasof nishpis. But Subcha said, intuitively, I would assume that Rabbi Yeshua's position, that all you have to do is give the ksuva and walk away, only applies in a case of where first there was the nedar, and then she was taken captive. Why? Di'i amrit nishpis ulabasof edira. Because if you say that ultimately what? That she was taken captive first, and then, and then the nedar was made, because we'll say, then you know what could happen? Every single husband who is, just does not really want to be involved in the pinyon shvuyim of his wife, which of course opens up a whole other dynamic, right? If a husband doesn't want to be involved in this, but in any event, every single husband who doesn't want to be involved with the pinyon shvuyim of his wife could simply, what, once she's taken captive, just make a nether, just make a nether, ultimately prohibiting any benefits from you, and therefore you don't have to redeem her. Therefore, Sumchus said, I never heard anything about this, but it would appear to me that Rabbi Yeshua's, Rabbi Yeshua's position, that you just have to give her her ksuba, and you're not obligated for redemption, only applies in a case where the neder preceded her captivity. So the Gemara says, My love, Are we not talking about a case of an Ashes Kohen, right? Where again, the case of the Almana married to the Kohen Gadol, and that's the case of where the Kohen Gadol made the neder prohibiting his wife ultimately to go ahead and get a Gehana from him. And Abayi Rabbosai holds, like Rabbi Eliezer, remember Rabbi Eliezer holds that even in the case of a neder, you're still obligated to go ahead and redeem her and pay the ksuba. So Abayi holds like Rabbi Lazar, Virava the Amr Rabbi Yoshua, and Rabbi holds like Rabbi Yoshua, to which the Gemara says, no, not necessarily. Hachamay askinan, oh, this is interesting, what's the case? Kigon shenadra ihi vikiem lahu. I will say, what's the case here? The case is not where the husband made the neder, but rather what? It's where the wife made the neder. But I also remember we know that in order for a wife's neder to be upheld, what has to happen? The husband has to be mekayimit. He has to uphold it. He has to affirm it. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Eliezer, Savar, who knows sin etzba bein shineha. So Rabbi Elazar says like this, if a wife makes a neder not to get any benefit from her husband, then what? Then what? Then Lemaisa again, and the husband has to confirm it. I mean, he does say that is confirmation. Who knows? He put his finger between her teeth. In other words, that he put his finger between her teeth. She bit down on his finger, but that's why. Because he put his finger there. Or say, that's another way of saying, he caused this. He didn't have to affirm the nether. He could have just, he could have negated this entire thing. He caused it. Now, because he caused it, therefore what? 
he is responsible because he's responsible if she's taken captive, so he has to redeem her and also give for her ksuva. On the other hand, Rabbi Yeshua Savar, he nasna etzba bein shinao. Rabbi Yeshua says, no, look, she made the nether. Yes, it's true he confirmed it, but she is the one who made the nether. Therefore, again, she put her own finger in between her teeth. She is responsible. Therefore, Rabbi Yeshua says, all the husband has to do is what? Pay her ksuva, but he has no obligation to redeem her. Samara says, I'm sorry, he nasna etzba bein shinao. Ihi nasna etzba bein shinao. Ksuva ma'avidita. So I'll say, so first of all, Rabbi Yeshua, if you're right, that she put her finger between her teeth, then the mice say again, why is there a ksuva? Maybe there shouldn't even be a ksuva in that kind of case. Visu, furthermore, I'm Rabbi Nasan, sha'alti ya sumchus. And furthermore, remember, Rabbi Nasan said before, I asked sumchus, kisham Rabbi Yeshua, no say, no say, no ksuva, sabay no poda, kishia dir lovasof nishbis. Remember, Rabbi Nassim asked Sumchos when Rabbi Yoshua said that Lamaisa, husband, is not obligated to redeem his wife within, in the nether case. Rather, he's only obligated to give her her ksuva. <laughs> I asked Sumchos what was the order of events. Was it that he first made the nether and there was the nether first and then she, went, she was taken captive or was captivity preceded the nether? And Sumchus said, I don't know, I never heard this. Remember, this is just repeating what I said before. The says, And if you're talking about a case where it's not that he made the nether, but rather what? She made the nether. If it's her that made the nether, if it's the wife, who cares what the order is? What does it matter if captivity preceded the nether or the nether preceded the captivity? Rather, the Gemara says we have to, we have to kind of get rid of this idea. Ella. So we'll say we're back to where we started, which means what? No, it's not a case of where she made the nether. The case we'll say is where he made the nether. So we'll say the shayla now we're back to is a case of where what? Where Lemaisa, a husband made a nether prohibiting his wife from getting any benefit from him. Then she is taken captive. So the shayla is what are his obligations vis-a-vis her knowing that when a husband makes a nether to go ahead for his wife not to get benefit from him, that's grounds for divorce. That pretty much is dissolution of the marriage right then and there. So the Shailanayah, she's now taken captive. What are his obligations vis-a-vis her? So Rabbi Eliezer said, remember, he has to redeem her and give her a ksuba, which is another way of saying, way of saying redeem her and divorce her. Rabbi Yeshua says, no, just give her a ksuba, divorce her, and she's on her own. You have no obligation to redeem her. To which the Gemara says, Abayi Suppose both Abayi and Rava will have their different versions. Abayi mitaris l'tamei. So Abayi will say like this, if an Ammon is married to a Kohen Gadol, and then she's taken captive, everyone will agree that what? That he has to redeem her. Now remember, we'll say this is Shiva Sabaye, because Abaye holds that since he could fulfill the clause in the Ksuva, remember what's the clause in the Ksuva in a Kohen's wife? What's the clause in the Ksuva? I, I will go ahead and I'll redeem you, and I'll return you to your city. He can do that. So because he could fulfill that clause, he's obligated to redeem her. That's number one. Number two, And if Yisrael is married to a Mamzeris, everyone agrees that what? He is not obligated to redeem her for the simple reason that he cannot fulfill the Tanai Miksuba that says that she will return her to him as his wife. Similarly, if a husband makes a nether, and this is the coin Godel case, Madir Eishas Kohen, she makes a nether ultimately again, prohibiting her from getting any benefits from him, and then she's taken captive, everyone also agrees that what? Techayiv Liftosa. 
Dahainu Amar the coin Godel. And also in Abayi's version, so again, if a, if a, if a wife of a, if a coin makes a nether, prohibiting his wife from getting any benefit from him, and then she's taken captive, he still has to redeem her. Why, Rabosai? Because remember, in Abayi's model, a coin making a nether, that his wife may not get any benefit from him, is no different than what case? No different than the case of a coin Godel married to an Amana. Both are situations of where the marriage has to be dissolved. But the same way that a Kohen Gadol has to redeem his wife, his, his Amana wife, so, so too again, even if the husband made dinner, there is still to redeem his wife. So keep pligi. Where does the Machlokis come up according to Abaye? Oh, the case over here is where a Yisrael made a nether, prohibiting his wife from getting any benefits from him, and then she is taken captive. Rabbi Eliezer, Azil Basra Meikara, supposed to listen to this. So Rabbi Eliezer goes, Basra Meikara, Basra Meikara means what? Basra Meikara means we look at the moment they get married. And at the moment they get married, was he able to fulfill the clause that if you are redeemed, I will restore you as my wife. As long as at the beginning of that marriage, that clause was, well, I guess fact I'll term, call it enforceable, then Lamaisi is obligated to honor it, even if what? Even if what? Even if circumstances change over the course of the marriage that make the fulfillment of that clause impossible. For example, he takes a nether sometime over the course of marriage that she may not get any benefits from him. So obviously at that point in time, even after he redeems her, he cannot return her to him as his wife because she's prohibited to him. But so again, because at the beginning of the marriage the clause was enforceable, therefore that, essentially what Rebbe says, is his obligation to redeem her is determined at the first moment of their marriage. As long as it's enforceable then, then the Messiah is enforceable for the duration of the marriage, even if circumstances change. On the other hand, Rabbi Yeshua Azul Basr Basov. On the other hand, Rabbi Yeshua goes, Basr Basov, Basr Basov means what? We look at right now. We determine the enforceability of the redemption clause by the circumstances present at the time when redemption becomes necessary. So since, again, at the time when redemption becomes necessary, which is now, she's taken captive, she is prohibited to him because of the nether. Therefore, what? He's not obligated to redeem her. He gives her her ksuva, and ultimately, again, he is free from this. So I will say that is a bias version. Rava mitari satame. Rava goes according to his reasoning. He says, I'm one of the coin gadol. So I will say, Rava says, no. Remember, this is Rabbi disagreeing with Abai from the beginning of the sugya. So he says, and whether it's an amana to a coin gadol or a Yisrael marrying a mamzeres, so I will say, any case of an illegal marriage, there is no obligation of redemption. Any case of illegal marriage, no obligation of redemption. Keep ligi. When is there a machlokes? In the case of the nether, how makes a nether? I will say, so now the, the fundamental Machlokas case is in a situation where a husband makes a nether, prohibiting his wife from getting any benefit from him. And this is the fundamental Machlokas. Rabbi Eliezer, Azul Basra Meikara. Rabbi Eliezer says, we look at the enforceability of the redemption clause by the circumstances of the marriage at its inception. So since, again, at the beginning of the marriage, the clause was enforceable. Therefore, even if circumstances change, the clause is still enforceable. Rabbi Yeshua, Azul Basra Basof. And Rabbi Yeshua, at the end of the day, looks at present circumstances now to see whether or not ultimately redemption would be obligatory. Okay, I will say, so therefore, the Gemara ends off over here with the Machlokis between, with the Machlokis between Abaye and Rava. So I will say, you should just know that it seems to be that we paskin at the end of the day like Rava, like Rava, and therefore again in the case, in the case of an Amana to a Kohen Gadol, or in the case of a Mamzeres to Yisrael, there would not be an obligation of redemption. So in any case where the marriage itself was illegal, 
there is no chiyuv for pidyon. All right, so the Gemara goes weiter. Nishpis chayav of dosa. Turn around, Rabbanon. This is actually very interesting as well. Nishpis bechayev baila. Let's say a woman was taken captive during her husband's lifetime. The acherkach meis baila, and then her husband died. So hikir ba baila yoshin chayav of dosa. As long as the husband was aware that his wife was taken captive during his lifetime, so the meaning, in other words, his awareness, the Gemara is suggesting over here, triggers an obligation for redemption. Once the obligation for redemption was triggered during the lifetime of the husband, that trickles down to the inheritors of the estate. They too have an obligation to go ahead and redeem this woman. Remember, that's true even if this woman is not their mother. Right? It was just their father's wife. Essentially, because what the Gemara is saying over here is that the idea to redeem a wife is a financial obligation. Once that financial obligation has been triggered during the lifetime of the husband, after his death, that financial obligation trickles down to the estate, and therefore the inheritors must redeem her. On the other hand, on the other hand, in On the other hand, if the husband was not aware that his wife was taken captive, I don't know. Whatever the situation is there. Right? He thought she was just out, whatever, right, for a week. Right? So, so he, he did not know that she was taken captive. Well, so, you know, again, all kidding aside, right, we just talked about late sonas beforehand. All, all kidding aside, the idea of here is, let's say, mom, she's, he's on his deathbed, and she's, ta- she's taken captive while he's on his deathbed. See, he just never, he never knew about this. Then what? So then in that case, again, the inheritors are not obligated to redeem her. So Levi wanted to act in accordance with this particular b'risa. So Rav said, my uncle said the following, Ta'alacha does not follow the ruling that we just stated. Elo Kiha, rather, the halacha follows the following b'risa. This sanya, nishpes la'achra misas b'ayla, ene yisomim chayav and liftosa. Remember, I will say, the first b'risa makes the obligation for, the, makes the obligation for redemption by the estate, by the inheritors, a function of, what we'll call it spousal recognition. That as long as the husband knew that his wife was taken captive during his lifetime, then at the end of the day, the obligation trickles down to the yashma. If the husband never knew about it, then the inheritors have no obligation. So Rava comes along and says, that's not the halacha. That's not the halacha. Rather, what is the halacha? The halacha is the following. If a wife is taken captive after the death of her husband, the orphans, the some of the inheritors, have no obligation to go ahead and redeem her. Not only that, Furthermore, not only that, but even if the husband was alive and while she was taken captive, once he dies, the obligation to redeem her goes with him to the grave. In other words, both say that the obligation to redeem a wife is upon who? Is upon the husband himself. So what, because remember, Bosa, this is a, this is a, tonight, it's a clause in the Ksuva, and the Ksuva says that, again, I will redeem you and return you to you as my wife, which means that the moment that I can't return you to you as my wife, then Lamaisa again, I'm not obligated to redeem you, which almost like fits in perfectly with what we said earlier, that if he can't return you to you as my wife, then at the end, of, like we said before, by the Amana Kohen Gadol, if we can't resume a marital life, then Lamaisa has no obligation of redemption. So the Gemara says, so therefore, Lamaisa, Lamaisa, I'm sorry? Oh, so remember again, that goes back to Rava. Rava was the one who said that it could only be the Isr Shivuya. If it's only if the Isr Shivuya 
creates the inability for the coin to continue in his marriage. But if the Isser was there prior to the prior to becoming a Shavuya, there's an obligation for redemption. Is the so, obligation talking about the monetary obligation? Monetary, correct. Okay. And, and for the ones who hold that it is uh, Chiyuv, are they just saying the money comes from the estate? Not this is money. all about the money. And the money from the estate. If, correct, okay. correct. Who's obligated? Okay. Same meaning, money from the estate, correct. Husband has to take it out of his pocket to pay for redemption. The summum, if you say the summum have to, then it comes out of their estate, correct. So comes their own money. No, 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 it's all estate money. All estate money. Summum would never be obligated to redeem their father's wife from their own money. That we're not, oh, let me take you, let me clarify this point. But so whenever we say about orphans having to go ahead and redeem someone, let's say their father's wife, it's always estate money. Because the assumption is that since it was a financial obligation on the father, therefore the Havamina was that even if the father's dead, that obligation still remains on his money. But obviously, if there's no estate money, let's say the father died penniless, then there's no conversation. Then everyone would agree, everyone agree that the Yisomim have no personal obligation. Meaning, let me be clear, they have an obligation, just like every judge has an obligation to redeem captives that they know about, but they have no specific obligation to totally bear the financial burden for this particular redemption. So, say, so therefore, Rava comes along and says that the halacha is like this last brisa, which says that the obligation, is, the obligation to redeem the spouse is only when the husband himself is alive. But if he's not alive, whether he recognized it or didn't recognize it is irrelevant. If he's not alive, that obligation never, de- never devolves upon the Yisomim. So what's another interesting case? Let's say a woman was taken captive, and her captors were requesting ten times her value. Ten times her value. So what's Talacha? Pam Rishona Podet. The first time you redeem her. Mikan ve'elech, ratza podeh, ratza ina podeh. This is interesting. Right? After the first time, if you want to redeem her, you can. If you don't want to redeem her, you don't have to. I was about to say that, that the, the idea over here is, it's not a good shabbat brachas varts, but, but, but you understand, the, the idea over here is that we're talking about an exorbitant amount of money. Rashi says, what does it mean, ratza ina podeh? Delo takinur ba rabbana elechad peyon. I was say, in other words, the enactment, or the, the, the rabbinic enactment, the takana, that a husband has to redeem his wife, that there is one redemption per customer, right? One redemption per marriage. If she kept, keeps getting taken captive, the husband is not obligated to keep on redeeming her. The Gemara goes weiter. says, no. says, very important famous shita. Well, actually, this sugi is really in Gittin. We'll talk about it extensively in Gittin. You do not redeem captives for more than they're worth. For the benefit of society. What does that mean? So Rashi says over here, Rashi says, In order that, remember what I'll say, the problem is that if you go ahead and, if you go ahead and, you start, you start redeeming people for much more than they're worth, then at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Lamaisi, you create a market for captives. Create a market. I should have extra tomorrow. We create a market for captives. So if you create a market for captives, you're going to incentivize, you're going to incentivize hostage taking. I will tell you, you should know, lest you think that this is not contemporarily relevant, when the opportunity to redeem Gilad Shalit came along, there was a major, major dispute among rabbinic authorities in Eretz Yisrael as to whether or not the swap should take place. And many felt that 
that as difficult as it was to say this, that the swap, the prisoner exchange, should not take place because it was a situation of and if people, if, if terrorists know that for, for, for capturing a soldier they can get a ridiculous amount in return, it's going to incentivize future kidnappings. Of course, this is the great tension within Klal Yisrael because what are we known for? We are Rachmanim b'nei Rachmanim. We are compassionate people, the sons of compassionate people. So the notion that we could go ahead and bring home a son of Israel, there's a part of us that says it doesn't matter what the cost is, we're going to go ahead and do it. On the other hand, from a practical perspective, <coughs> Shimon Gamliel says, you can't redeem captives for more than their value because you run the risk of then incentivizing the kidnapping market. He goes on, But again, what do you see from here? That if the captors are asking a legitimate price, however you, however you define a legitimate price, you see that you redeem her even though even though let's say the amount that they're asking for is more than the value of her ksuva. In general, the assumption is that a husband's financial liability towards towards his wife is kind of it's it's there's a ceiling. That ceiling amount is the ksuva. So I would have thought that if a wife is taken captive, the most you have to go ahead and pay for her is. The amount of her ksuva. Mr. Brown, I know this probably sounds strange coming in in the middle. You should always <laughs> redeem your wife. It's not, I'm taking this out of context here. Right? The, the, the idea over here is I would have thought that the ceiling on this is the ksuva amount. However, you see from here that no, you redeem her for whatever her value is, or a mini. So again, the Gemara raises a kasha that if a woman, a wife was taken captive and her captives were asking 10 times, adasara biksuvasa, 10 times the value for ksuva. Now, both say, now that is a lot of money. So, 10 times the value for ksuva, pam rishon apoda, the first time you could redeem her. Mikan ve'elech ratz apoda, ratz apoda. After the first time, if you want to redeem her, you can. If you don't want to redeem her, you don't have to. Words, both say, so, what that's saying is the obligation to redeem her is only one time. On the other hand, Rabshimim Amlil Omer, im hayopir kuna kineged ksuva sapoda, ve'imlav einapoda. Rabshimim Amlil says that if her redemption amount is equal to her ksuva, then you could redeem her. But if it's not, meaning if it's more, then you're not obligated to redeem her. To which the Gemara says, Reb Shem Amil, trey kuli istu. Reb Shem Amil has two kulas. He has two. He ultimately has two leniencies. What are his two leniencies? Number one, that you're not obligated to redeem her for more than her value. And number two, you're not obligated to redeem her for more than the value of her ksuva. So those are the two leniencies that he has. Fine. I'm sorry, kulas for the husband. They're financial coolers for the husband because it sets a ceiling on how much you're obligated to pay for her redemption. Correct. There'll be how much you have to do it the second time, but the kula is that there is a financial ceiling on the amount you have to pay. That is correct. So, so also listen to this. Next thing in the Mishnah was if she becomes ill, you're obligated to pay for her doctor bills. And this is very interesting. A widow is supported from the estate of the orphans. Now remember again, so let me clarify this point that Ben Sion made before. Estate of the orphans mean what? Remember, when we speak about orphans, orphans are not necessarily the children of the widow. It could very well be that the, that the children are someone totally different. 
someone totally different, meaning children you have from another marriage. The idea over here is that an almana is is supported from the from the property of the of the used from the property of her deceased husband. But I want to be clear, Nixon doesn't mean the orphan's own personal property, but rather it means what? The estate property. So the widow is supported from the estate property. So the Gemara says, Utsricha Rifua, Harihi Kimizona. So let's say now she needs some type of medical intervention. Let's say she needs medical intervention. So what's that Where is that? That's like Mizono. That's like food. So the same way that her food is given to her from the estate, support is given to her from the estate, so medical needs are also given to her from the estate. Rabbi Shimon says, no, 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 listen to this. This is actually very interesting. Rafua sheyesh la kitzva nisrapas miksuvasa she'ein la kitzva harihi kimizonos. So we'll say now the Gemara Rabbi suggests that it depends what type of rafua she needs. If she needs a specific course of treatment that is defined, so it's a defined treatment, which for our purposes also means that it has a defined price tag, so then that comes from the ksuva. Any set amounts of things that she needs comes from the ksuva. But anything that, but let's, say, but let's say she needs ongoing care. So let's say ongoing care has the status of mizonos. The status of why? Because it will say Mizonos represents any, any uncapped amount of expenses. So any uncapped amount of expenses ultimately are like Mizonos and therefore would just simply come from the estates. This is very interesting. So if she has a chronic condition for which she's going to require constant care, that's like Mizonos, it comes from the estate. If she has a one-time, a one-time condition, so then that's going to come from her ksuva. As I will say again, just so you understand the logic behind it, just like the ksuva is a set amount, so any of her needs that are set amounts come from ksuva. Mizonos is an open-ended amount. That's her support. So any open-ended items also come from the estate like Mizonos. So listen to this. So Rabbi Yochanan said that they made bloodletting. So once you understand bloodletting was a very popular, bloodletting was often the answer to everything. Right? Do you have a problem? Just do bloodletting. So in Eretz Yisrael, bloodletting was like a refuah she'in la kitzvah. was like, a, like treatment, like medical treatment, without, not undefined, medic, not undefined, um, without limit, right? Medical treatment without limit. And therefore, now uncapped medical treatment. And therefore, again, lemais, ongoing medical treatment. And therefore, lemais, again, that would come from the zonos. That would, that would be like sustenance. That would come from the estate, not her ksuva. But listen, listen to this story. Krevi Rabbi Yochanan, so listen to this. Rabbi Yochanan's relatives, now Rabbi Yochanan's a great sage, so his relatives come to him, and what's the problem? These, these relatives, these, these children, these inheritors, their, fa- their father died, and the father left behind the widow, not their mother. Not their mother. So they came to Rabbi Yochanan because they had a problem that she needed refua kol yoma. Now, we'll say, here's the issue. The issue is she needed ongoing medical treatment. And what was going to happen? The children were a little bit concerned because they felt that the assets of the estate were going to be totally consumed by paying for her medical treatment. So what did, so what did Rabbi Yochanan say? He said, I have a very good idea. Go to the doctor and work out a deal with the doctor. And essentially say to the doctor like this, okay, this woman, this widow has this condition. She's going to require treatment for the next 20 years. How much money? Give, give me a price for the entirety of that service. I don't want to pay you daily, and maybe I'll even pay you a little bit of a premium if you go ahead and you give me a defined price for all of those services. Now, both side, now what does that do? What does that do? That makes it into a fixed amount. Oh, 
if suddenly again, if suddenly medical medical services become a fixed amount, sounds like an insurance company, right? If medical could become a fixed amount, then what, Rabbi? Say then what? Then suddenly it comes from the herk herk suva, as opposed to coming from the estate. So it's a great trap, Rabbi. So listen to how this story ends. Afterwards, uh, Rabbi Yochanan was very upset. He says, I feel so low. I feel like I've sold him. You know what I feel like? I feel like a lawyer, right? <laughs> Mamish, like, I, I feel like I've hit, I'm sorry, right? I, 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 I feel like, now I will say, now understand what the Gemara means over here when the Gemara, the Gemara is not a disparaging of lawyers. What the Gemara is saying over here is that I feel like what I've done is I've manipulated the system. And Rabbi Yochanan said, I'm supposed to be better than that. My job is not to manipulate the system. Because what he did is he really did. I mean, again, I will say, was, is it legal? Is it legal? Of course it's legal. Is, is it what the spirit of halacha intended? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So he says, I feel like I've made myself like, like a lawyer and I've manipulated the system. He says, the Gemara says, so, my, my suffer, my suffer. so what was Rabbi Yochanan thinking in the beginning when he, made, when he made this, when he gave this advice and why did he ultimately feel guilty about it? To which the Gemara says, In the beginning he thought, look, this is my family. There's an obligation to help our family. And therefore what? And therefore I wanted to help them out. They came to it, I wanted to help them out. And at the end, he realized that, you know what? Has to rise above certain things. Sometimes, it's not about helping out his family. Sometimes, has to make the very difficult decision about this might be good for my family, but at the end of the day, it's not the right precedent to set. So in the beginning, he was trying to help out his family, doing a good thing. In the end, he regretted it because he felt that as a person of stature, he perhaps, again, should not have manipulated the system. Says the Mishnah, Remember again, we've spoken about this extensively. This is what's called Ksuvas Benendichrin. So Ksuvas Benendichrin means literally the Ksuva of male sons, which means that a woman would have a clause written in her Ksuva that her sons that she would have in the marriage with this particular man whom she's married to now, they would inherit her ksuva. Now, what does that do? What that does is it says that even if he has children from another marriage, those children will inherit in the estate, but will not inherit in my ksuva. She wants her ksuva, dafka, to go to her children. So literally, even if he didn't write for her, but in dichrin the male sons that you will have with me, Inun yars of kesek suvaseich, they will inherit the money or the value of your ksuba. Yeser al fulkeyen demachon, more than the other portions that they inherit with their brothers. Even if a husband didn't write this in the ksuba, chayiv. It's still as if it's present in the ksuba. Why? Shud tonight basin. Because Rabbi said, remember we've seen this concept that there are certain things that are considered to be just simple enactments of basin, and because they're enactments of basin, even if you don't write it into the document, they are still considered to be legally binding. Similarly, beno nukvun di havanechiminoi. If normally you're supposed to write in the Ksuba that any daughters we have together will be supported by my estate until they get married. Even if you did not write that statement within your Ksuba, that obligation still stands. Chayiv, why? Shoot tonight, Bezin. Because ultimately, again, this is a condition of Bezin. If he did not write in the Ksuba that if you are widowed, if I die, you will be supported from my estate all the days that you remain a widow, meaning until you get remarried. Chayiv, that 
that clause is still binding. Shu tray basin. So we'll say, what do you see from here? You see all of these clauses, either ksuvas ben endichren, the male sons, giving the male sons the ksuva, or supporting the girls until they get married, or that you, widow, will be supported from my estate until you get remarried. Even if these things are not explicitly written into the ksuva, they are still considered to be halachically binding. It's a tenai basin. This is what this is the type of ksuva they used to write in Jerusalem. And the people of the Galil, the north, would write their ksuvas like the men of Yerushalayim. So this is very interesting. In Yehuda, they had a very different approach. In Yehuda, what would they write? That the almana is supported. Let's say in the ksuva they would write that if a, woman, if, a woman, if a husband dies, the widow is supported from the estate as long as what? As long as the orphans want to support her from the estate. But the orphans have an interesting ability. What's their ability? They could give her, they could buy her out. Now, I will say, now, buy out is very simple. Buy out means they pay her out her ksuva. So they have the ability at will to say, here is the lump sum of your ksuva. Leave us on the side. Now remember, it is not in a woman's financial best interest to get her ksuva. Why? Because when she gets her ksuva, what does she lose? She loses mizonos. So if a woman is widowed and has no immediate intentions of getting remarried, financially the best thing first to keep getting supported from the estate. And then at some point in time when she does get remarried, she'll get the lump sum payout of the ksuva. So under normal circumstances, uh, according in, let's say in, in Yushalayim and in Galil, the right to determine whether there's mizonos or ksuva is up is in the hands of the woman. In Galil, they left that right with the inheritors. So should the inheritors decide we no longer want to give you mizonos, we want to pay you out your ksuva, they have the ability to exercise that option and totally pay out. So, so let's just do one line, then we'll have to stop. So the says, hey, um, I'm sorry, I'm Rabbi Yochanan, Mishum Rabbi Shimon Bayochaim, Mipnei Mahes, Kinu Ksuva Spinendichrin. Rabbi is actually very interesting. Why is it that they instituted a ksuva Spinendichrin? Why did we? Why did they institute this clause? that the male children of the wife should inherit her ksuva because there was always a concern like this. A man is marrying off a woman, his daughter. A man is marrying off a daughter. Now, what do we, we want him to give her a dowry. We want him to give her a dowry. What's the concern of every father when he gives his daughter a dowry? What's the concern? Right? That that guy, right, that guy, now that guy refers to my son-in-law, right, that guy is going to inherit all the property. That chas shalom should the daughter predecease her husband, he's that guy, he's going to get all the property that I worked a lifetime to go ahead and amass. Oh, and what's going to happen? Therefore, a father is going to give less dowry. So how do we make the father feel more comfortable? That's what, even if the father doesn't like that guy, who does he like? He likes his grandsons. So at least the knowledge, the knowledge, that's what? That the property that he gives to his daughter is going to go to his grandsons and is not going to be, not going to be retained by that guy allows him to go ahead and give a proper dowry. So we have to stop here for today. I think tomorrow... I know we could do it. We could do it. You know we're going to start regular time. Misuasi Sharm at five forty-five. The daf will start at six, and we'll just we'll 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 do it. Demir Tashem. Shkoyach.